If you have your Bibles, we're going to start out in John chapter 21. If you're just joining us, we're, today is the last message of a series that we have been doing for the last month called Overcomer. We've been talking about overcoming things like fear. When we get, when we get afraid, we get stuck in life, we get paralyzed. We've been talking about, last week we talked about overcoming apathy. We've talked about overcoming busyness and how that can just uh, fill our soul with toxic things when we never have breathing room. And then we've also talked about labels, the experiences that we have in life. The enemy wants to tell us what those experiences are and label us. We've been talking about how to overcome all of those things. And here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're not meant to live a defeated life. We're meant to live a victorious life. And scriptures say we are overcomers. We can overcome obstacles. We can overcome disappointment. We can get past negative events that happen in our lives. We do not have to allow our past to define us. We are overcomers. So today we're going to talk about comparison, overcoming comparison. Now before we do that, I want to take a moment and just welcome another church that is joining us today. So we're part of a, a network of churches. I don't know how many, 40 or 50 churches within our network. But there's a church that's a recent uh, plant, uh, just about three years old in Nashville, Tennessee. So today, Radiant Church in Nashville is joining us. So can we welcome them? Radiant Church Nashville, we welcome you. We, we welcome you now. Uh, some of you in the room may know this and some of you may not, but Tennessee has a place in our heart, in Jen and I's heart. We almost moved to Nashville. I wanted to be uh, a musician, a professional artist, and we, we had looked to move there. I think it was 1995, if I remember right. And God, God used Nashville. We have, our story is attached to Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we were vacationing in Tennessee we went to Fall Creek's Fall State Park, so in that, in, not in Nashville, but just east of Nashville, about an hour or so. And uh, let me explain this to you if you're in Michigan. So how many know, Jen and I love camping, how many know that you can't get a campground at Ludington uh, in Michigan? Like, and I mean, you, I mean, you just can't show up and get one. You have to schedule it literally like six months in advance. Well... A few weeks ago, we want, it's November, we wanted to go camping, it was our anniversary, and so we're like, I found this place online in Tennessee, we love Tennessee, we want to go to Fall Creek Falls, no reservations. Well, Fall Creek Falls happens to be the Ludington of Tennessee, but I thought, you know, it's November, no one, you don't need a reservation in November, like it's cold out, but not in Tennessee, so we drive there, and I show up, and it's beautiful. It's like there's no main highway around there. Once you get off a highway, you've got a good 45 minutes to an hour of just windy roads and hills, and it's beautiful. There's mountains. And uh, Nashville, if you've never been to Michigan, our roads are all straight, north, south, east, west, and uh, cornfields and flat. So uh, so you, you won't understand, like, when we're there, we're, like, in awe of the beauty of the roads, and, and we're driving. But we get to Fall Creek Falls Campground. And we pull up our 1969, we have an old camper, 69 shafts, a short little 13-foot thing. And uh, we get there, and I go in to, the, to, to check in. I'm like, I need a camp space. And like, well, do you have a reservation? I'm like, I don't have no reservation. And like, it's November. But I did notice, like, this is looking pretty full. It was a Wednesday. And uh, she said, well, we got one spot for tonight. And we plan on being there the whole weekend. And she said, uh, I said, all right, well, I got to use the restroom. Give me that. And she said, well, let me just look and see. 
there was a cancellation, and we were able to get the spot. But let me say, so we find the spot. God worked a miracle, and it was like, to me, felt like the best spot in the whole campground. So we, we pull in, and we're looking in the mountains, and we say, like, why didn't God call us to Tennessee? Like, these mountains are gorgeous. And, um, but isn't that what we do? Like, we were comparing, like, M- Michigan to Tennessee. And, like, I don't want to look at cornfields no more. There's a big cornfield behind my house. I want a mountain. Wouldn't it be sweet to have a mountain, Jen? And she's like, yeah, it'd be sweet to live here. And <clears throat> we're not moving. Don't mishear me. But I'm just saying, when you, don't we do that? We go on vacation. Maybe it's Florida or something. Like, why are we living in Nashville? There's two seasons in Michigan. It's basically winter and the 4th of July. That's all we get. And <clears throat> so we're jealous. We're jealous. But it's so easy to compare is my point. And uh, of course, we have beautiful lakes here, and Pastor Tony, you know this because you lived here for a while. If you've never been to Michigan, a lot of times people don't know you can't see across. Of course, we know that because we live here, but people think it's just like a lake, and you can look across it. You can't look. It's like 28-plus miles, like I think the widest part, something like that. You can't see across. Like Our lakes are like oceans but pier, and uh, you can't see across it, and you can't see either way this way. Like It's massive. It's beautiful. But we do that. We compare our lives. And I think it's a whole lot easier now to compare our lives to other people than it was like 15, 16 years ago because of social media. Isn't it true? You get on Facebook and you see someone else's success or whatever. You see the party that everyone's handing. You see the photos of the party, the Christmas party, the Thanksgiving celebration. Like, why wasn't... Why wasn't I invited to the ugly sweater party? And uh, I got an ugly sweater. And uh, or you, you just you look at people's lives. You look at the, oh, they're on another vacation. Did you see her ring? How big it was? That's just gaudy. I wouldn't even want a ring that big. Um, but we look at people's Facebook posts or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and we just think, why don't I have that many followers or this many friends? But really what you're seeing is the highlights of their life. You're, we, we look at the party. We look at, you know, that, that beautiful, I just love this man and you know, the two of you. Like all my, all my stuff's positive. So you probably look at my life and like, Pastor Mike has no issues. But you're not, you don't see what's happening between when that photo took and the, the fight that took place to even make the photo happen. Right? Like... <laughs> If we're honest, comparing is just something that we all do, and it, it's super easy. But there's some dangers in it. And it, it's fun to talk about it in, in things like social media. But if we're honest, there's really some really dangerous things that can happen. And I want to talk about two dangers of comparison. And, and then I want to say, how do we overcome it? How do we overcome comparison in our lives? Because it's what we do. If it's, if it's not... You know, it's comparing careers, it's comparing houses, it's comparing things that we acquire. Maybe it's income, maybe it's degrees, maybe it's, you know, there's all kinds of things that we compare our lives for. Maybe it's spiritual even, like, oh, he's got God figured out, I'm still stumbling through it, and I'm never going to figure it out. I want to talk about two dangers of comparison, and the text I want to launch with today in John 21, just to set it up, is this is on the, the, the other side of the resurrection, and 
Peter has denied Jesus three times. And he's appeared a couple of times to the disciples. This is one of the last accounts written. And John tells us about this account. So it's about seven, seven out of the 12 disciples. They're out fishing in Galilee. And Jesus appears on the shore. Peter jumps into the water, swims once he finds out that it's Jesus. And Jesus, Peter had denied Jesus three times and, and had abandoned him. John hadn't, but Peter did. John is one of the people there. John's, of course, t- you know, giving us this account. And here's what happens. Jesus asked Peter the question three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times he does it. And it's kind of like a sting in his heart because he's denied him three times. How ironic you would ask me three times if I love you. He says, of course, Lord. And he says, feed my sheep. And then he gives him a prophetic word. So three things. Jesus is restoring Peter's heart probably from the shame he probably felt or the guilt he was feeling from denying Jesus. Because he had said, I will die for you. And then he doesn't. He runs away. He's also telling him when he's saying, feed my sheep, most scholars believe Jesus is telling Peter, you're, you're going to lead the church. When it's birthed and it grows, you're going to be the leader of the apostles. And then Jesus says, hey, go for a walk with me. And Jesus and Peter, they go for a walk, and Jesus gives Peter a prophetic word about how his life will end. So he's denied Jesus, but Jesus is restoring it. There's some level of healing. He's giving him permission to, you're still going to be a leader that doesn't disqualify you, Peter. You're still qualified to lead the church. And then he gets a prophetic word. Now, John is writing this account, and he's following behind Jesus and Peter as, he, as he's writing this. So Jesus gives him this prophetic word in verse 20. He's walking with Jesus, so kind of picture this. They're walking along, and he turns around and he sees, sees John. Then Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. I just think it's so funny. John's writing this about himself, and he's like, he's writing about Peter's account, but has to put in there, Peter, Jesus loved me more. I mean, I didn't deny him like you did. Uh, So he sees who, who Jesus loved more. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? See, Peter, I was the one. You denied him. Remember three times? I was the one who Jesus loved and actually leaned into him. You ran away. I leaned in. And so Peter's looking back, seeing John. And I wonder, like, why is John even telling us these things about him? But it says, when, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So he's with Jesus, having a moment with Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus is healing him. He's telling him he's going to lead the church. And he gives a prophetic word. And even though he's got a prophetic word, even though he's got a promise he's going to lead the church, and even though there's a restoration, that's not enough. He looks back and sees John and says, what about him? Don't we do that? It's true. We have a moment with Jesus and we think, we look at someone else's walk and it feels like God loves him more and they lean into Jesus more than I lean into Jesus. I feel like I stumble through my faith. And then God does give us a word and it's not enough. We still look at other people and say, well, what about them? How come you're doing that for them? And here's how Jesus answered. If I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So I see 
something happening here. Peter is not able to appreciate fully what's happening because he's comparing his word that Jesus has given him to what he may give to John. And here's my point. When you compare your life to other people's lives, you can't actually see what God is doing in your life. That's the point. Go ahead and throw it up. When you compare your lives to other people, you can't actually see what God is doing. You can't see it because comparison creates an inability to see what God has done for you. And so we wrestle, and it just depletes us, and it steals the joy of what we actually have. We can't see it. We can't enjoy. I, why couldn't, I mean, you're encountering the resurrected Savior, Peter. Why aren't you enjoying that moment? Why aren't you enjoying this? Well, it's because John might have something better. So this September, Pastor Jeff and I went and ministered at a church in Ionia, Michigan, called um, Restore Church. And Restore Church had the same architect that designed our church. They actually built maybe a couple years before us, and that's how we met him, actually. So I had, but I hadn't seen the building. So it was our first time there, and I walk in, and it's designed kind of a little bit, a little bit different, but mostly it looks like our, our church. You could tell he had the same architect. And I walk in, and the ceilings are massive in, in John's church, in, in the church building. Now, you don't know this because you weren't in on the meetings uh, when we were, like, designing the building. But I wanted high ceilings. I said, I want high ceilings because we're going to need lights and we're going to need vision. And, uh, but there was a problem. We had to have a lower ceiling with the old building. Like, a, there was a roof line issue. So the highest we could get is 15 Feet. So I, I think, if I, my memory serves me right, the highest point in this room is about 15 feet tall. And uh, I walk in John, and it's John's building. It's at least 20. And I'm like, he's got higher ceilings, Lord. And, uh, and, and then to add insult to injury, one of the other people that came to minister with us gives John's church a prophetic word and happens to mention these high ceilings in their church and how it's a prophetic vision. And I'm like... Oh, really? Like, and, but in the moment, I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? God's given us a building. We have a miracle story just like Pastor John has a miracle story for his church. And it's how the enemy works. He wants to take our lives and get us off the focus. And what did Jesus say? Don't focus on John. Follow me. Focus on on me, because if you focus on what I what I want to do for for the Apostle John's life, you're gonna miss what I'm saying to you right now. It robs us of the joy of what God is doing. So I had a, a quick repentance with the Lord and had to get over it. Number two, danger is this. Comparing makes you feel either superior or inferior to other people. When we compare our lives to other people, we either feel superior because I'm doing better, I've accomplished more, I have a better degree, I'm prettier than you, I mean, I don't like to show off, but I'm like more buff than you, 
I'm, I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more informed. I'm more spiritual. And you feel superior. Or you look at other people and you think, why don't I have their faith? Why isn't my kid walking yet? Your kids are year old. They ain't started walking yet. Oh, my baby started walking at three months, and at six months could quote the ABCs from A to Z perfectly. And and you're like, oh, I'm a terrible mom. I just a kid can't walk yet. Like he still falls. Here's the thing. It's true. When we do that, we we either feel like I'm doing better, and I'm superior. Or we're doing worse and we feel inferior. And really what's happening, guys, is neither one of those honors God. Because one is you're not seeing, either one of them, you're not seeing through the lens of God. You're, you're, in a, you're not in a humble place. You're living in pride. And we just can't see it. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Talking about comparing. But they are only comparing themselves. To each other. That's what we're doing. We use other people's lives for the measurement of how successful our lives is. And he actually says that. Using themselves as a standard of measurement. And he says, how, how ignorant. And we do that. I, I, we've all done this. Just looking at people's accomplishments, how much money they make or how much we've accomplished, and we become our own standard of measurements. And I know that I've talked about this before, so I won't go into details, but when Jen and I went through our, our bankruptcy 20-plus years, well, a long time ago, I was so defeated by the credit score. We, we had a plan to move forward. We had a way of getting out of debt. We were working our way through it, but I just ruined my life financially. And ruined my credit score. And I would, I would read it and see it. And I would feel so much shame. And I was really getting my value as a person based on a number. But, but think of it. It's literally a system that man has created to see if we're credible or not. And I know there's merit to it. I'm not saying there's no merit to it. I, I get it. We have to measure debt ratio. We have to make, so it's not what I'm saying, but my mistakes in the past does not determine my future. And this is what we do. We look at the world's measurement, and then we say, that's what success is, is this credit score of 800 or whatever is awesome. I don't even know. I don't even care. I, um, just pay your bills on time. It'll get better. So uh, this is what happened. And I remember sitting in a church service and hearing a message of someone teaching on worth and value. And they just said, hey, ask the Holy Spirit if, if, you know, if you find in your worth and something else. And the Lord said, you believe your value and your worth is based on a credit score. And I'd never thought of that. I mean, I certainly felt the shame. When, like, I felt defeated probably. I didn't call it shame then. I, I felt defeated. It's like, oh, I suck. And uh, <clears throat> what am I doing? I'm measuring my value and my worth off a credit score. And it's not what God's heart is. And I compared, especially in those days, I would see the blessing of someone else and it would 
it would sometimes make me mad. Like, why don't I have that yet? Well, I had to overcome some things. That's why we're doing this series. And one of the things I had to overcome was comparing my life to other people's lives. We're not meant to compare our lives to other people. So how do we do it? How do we get out of it? So three thoughts on this, how to overcome comparison. And number one is this. This is probably the most important. All three are important, but this one's the most important. Learn to rely on Christ's power to be content. Learn to rely on Christ's power to be content. When Peter's asking John, or Jesus, what about John? What does he say? What is that to you? Follow me. What he's saying is, Peter, you can be content and you can get empowerment through your life from me. And the reason why this is important is because your life is never going to be fully satisfied until you have Jesus at the center of it. Until Jesus is making you content. Without Christ, it's never going to be enough. On either side of it. Whether you're doing well, if you're doing well, you still you want more. We do this. There's something in us that just keeps driving us for more. The spirit of manna, I need more money, I need more education, I need more friends, I, I, I need more things to do, I need to accomplish more things. Listen, or, or the other side of it, we're, we're feeling defeated and we, we feel like it's never enough, even if you're in a place of scarcity. I, I don't, I, I, you're never going to have enough money, you're never going to have enough friends, you're never going to have enough followers on TikTok, you're never going to be satisfied without Jesus, only Jesus is going to fully bring the satisfaction and the sense of fulfillment that we really want. And Paul tells us this in Philippians 4, 11, verse 13 through 13. Says, so the Philippians had given him a financial donation to help his ministry. And this is the context. And he says this, even though you guys have given to me, I want you to know that I was never in need. He's grateful, but I wasn't in need. And he tells them why. For I have learned how to be content. So he's going to give us, he actually calls it a secret. I'm going to, I learned how, I learned it. That's why I'm saying we learned this. We learned to rely on Jesus. Learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. And some in this room, that's where we're at right now. Like, I'm, That's where I'm at. I feel like I'm, I have little in my life. Well, this is good news for you. Or with everything. Some in this room, you're doing really well. If you don't have Jesus and you have nothing, you become hopeless. If you have everything and don't have Jesus, you become driven. It's never enough. And he says, I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, I can do everything. Here it is. Through Christ who gives me strength. Only with the power of Christ can you endure scarcity. And only with the power of Christ can you actually have the ability to enjoy the good things that are in your life. Because if we don't have Christ, we don't actually enjoy it. We miss the blessing of it. Here's my question. Who or what? is determining your value. Who or what is going to determine your worth? Who or what is determining your win right now? Is it achievement? 
Is it to look prettier? Is it to, to appear smarter, more healthier, to acquire more, to have more? Is it bigger accomplishments, more income, a, a different career? And if I get to this place, if I get, make this amount of money, if I get to this place in my life, if I have this or I can just, if I can get this relationship finally, then I'll be content. No, we have to have it now. We can enter contentment now. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus should be determining your worth, not a credit score. Jesus should be determining your value, not other people. Jesus should be determining your win, not the world's standards. Jesus can determine those things for us, and it's better with him. I, I didn't share this last service, but I'll tell you, I've determined what's my win. And where my value is going to come from. We all wrestle with it. I wrestle with it. I sometimes forget. I sometimes believe the lie. I have believed the lie. Especially in the midst of COVID. And not having the right answers. I feel like sometimes I'm a failure. I failed the church. Or, or I'm just being very vulnerable right now. I just, you know, I, I hear something going on. And you feel like, oh, I failed. What is that? That's me measuring my worth against what someone is saying about the church or about my decisions or about how we lead or things like that. And I'm realizing, like, Jesus, I need you. You're going to determine my worth. But my win is this, that I obey Christ. That's my win. And my worth is who I am in Christ. That's my worth. And my value is what is he saying about me? Do I obey God? That's my win. And I'm relying on Christ to be content in these moments in my life. So how do we overcome it? We learn, because Paul said, I learned it. So that means we're not going to get it right all the time. This means we're always going to be in process. Number two is this, focus on what the good things that is in your life. What are the good things that God is doing right now in your life? The fastest way to kill something good in your life is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill what's awesome and working in your life is to compare it with something else. The moment we do that, uh, we lose the joy of experiencing it. So how we overcome comparison is we, we figure it out, like, what is God doing in my life right now? What can I focus on? How can I shift my attitude? Look at this verse in Psalms 103, verse 2. This says, David writing this, he says, let all that I am praise the Lord. And, and here's the piece I want us to catch. May I never forget, because we do forget, God is good. We do forget God is in the midst of something. He is present, and he is working in my life, but we don't see it when we compare. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. God is doing something good in our lives it's been really hard in the midst of a pandemic we, we see all the things that are happening and we kind of get shaken up by it and there's a temptation to say remember when we had life before COVID remember when we can go in public and not wear a mask Re do you remember when you could sneeze 
in public and you actually got blessed for it. And now what happens is if you sneeze, you, you get the evil eye. You get like, oh, this guy must have leprosy. And, uh, but there's a temptation to focus on what used to be or what we don't have and what we're losing right now. But I would say, what is God doing right now? Because there is something happening that we can focus on, that we can celebrate that God is doing in our life right now. I think about the Radiant Church in Nashville. They have been a set up and tear down church at the YMCA. And um, because of COVID in March, they, they lost that. And then when churches started gathering together, YMCA said, you can't come back. Their protocols were just not going to work with what the church needed. And they have no gathering place at all. So even now, they're, they're still watching online. But Pastor Tony, he had said this to me. He said, Mike, what's happening is when we gather in homes, and it's usually groups of like 10, a couple families, he said, God is knitting our hearts together. And there is a strengthening. And tonight, Radiant Nashville, he's going to give a vision about we're, we're relaunching. God is restoring some things right now, but he's, he's given a vision that God is going to relaunch. He's going to rebuild, and we're going to start over. Their goal is to finally gather for the first time again on Easter. But they don't have a building yet. But here's what they have. They have God knitting their hearts together in a way that never happened in a corporate setting. And two, now they have vision. And I love that in the midst of not having what we have, they're able to say, this is what God's doing. So they're able to be content in that moment. Well, we can too. I do this every week. And it's usually when I feel off. It's usually when I have a bad day. But it's once a week. I'll ask this question. I call it my yesterday journal. So if I feel like a failure. Or if I feel like someone else has figured it out. And they're doing awesome. And I can't seem to wrap my head around it. I'll sit down and say, what am I feeling? Kind of process, critically process my emotions. But then I'll say, what is good? And what it does is it, it recenters me. Like, oh no, God's doing this here. He, he's moving this way here. This is how you overcome comparing our lives to other people. We rely on Christ's power to be content. And ask him, would you give me, how you, however you did it for Paul, Lord, do it for me. And two, we focus on the good things. And the last one is this. Be authentically happy for others. Be happy authentically for others. Because here's the lie the enemy wants to tell you. You look on Facebook and you see that success story and you think, I'm a failure. That's a lie. Someone else's, dis someone else's advantage becomes your disadvantage. You think their engagement is another reminder of your singleness. The good news that they're pregnant now becomes your disappointment. Your encouragement becomes my encouragement. This is the lie the enemy wants to tell us. Your success is my failure. And that's the lie. The reality is their success is your success. And here's why. Two reasons. One, it can inspire you. You can say you did it. Or two, 
It can also guide you. You can ask the questions. How did you do that? I want that victory. How did you, how did you do that? Look at what Paul says in Romans 12, 15. He says, be happy with those who are happy. How many remember Dumb and Dumber? as an old movie, a handful of us. You remember the end when he finds out she's married? I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. He's not happy for him. We need to learn to be authentically happy for other people. When I was trying to figure out and work through my financial mess that I made 20-some years ago, I would listen to the Dave Ramsey podcast. And he would have this moment, and he probably still does it, I don't know, I haven't listened to it in years now. I would watch it, or listen, and he'd have this moment where he'd have people who finally got debt-free, and they would scream, I'm debt-free, or freedom, or something like that, I can't remember, but they would scream freedom. Now, a person who compares would say, oh, please, I can't believe it, they're just lucky, or whatever. But I wouldn't do that. I would feel like, yes. And, I, and they would tell their story, how they did it, what's happening. It's inspiring me, and I'm finding guidance of how I can do it. And I would rejoice with them, like, man, praise God, they did it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. And then we learn how to overcome comparison. We stop relying on our own strength, and we rely on Jesus' power. Instead of focusing on what's bad, we focus on what's good. And two, we genuinely rejoice with other people. And I'll close with this story. I met a pastor June of 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia at a pastor's conference. His name is Larry. And the speaker at the conference said, hey, find a person at the table. And instead of praying for your need, find out what their need is. Instead of praying for your thing, pray for theirs. So we were in the middle of our building campaign and project. And I met Larry. And Larry's a pastor in Pennsylvania. And Larry tells me, he's a set up and tear down church, a a young church, church plant. And where he he lives, there's no real estate. And he said, well, I'm believing God for this, this Catholic church that's no longer gathering. The building's vacant and... And uh, so he shared, I'm like, Larry, I'm going to pray that God gives you that building. Well, he, he asked ours, like, what's your story? And I shared, we're, we're in a building project and we're believing for, and that was the month when every bank was telling us, no, we can't give, we can't give you the loan. And God, you know, we're in a building, so obviously they did. God worked a miracle. But this Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, Larry called me. So two years have gone by. He said, Mike kind of talked, we caught up, talked about things. He said, guess what? And he's not been meeting. They met in a school, set up teardown. They've not been meeting because they lost that ability because of COVID. And he said, you're never going to believe it. The Catholic Church sold us the building. Yeah, come on. Let's go. Here's what I did. I celebrated with Larry. I'm like, Larry, I told you. Two years ago, the Lord was going to give you that building, and he did. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Here's how you can do this. Congratulations.
congratulate someone who's having an anniversary, that person that had a new baby, that added a member to the family. Help someone else reach their potential. Invest into other people. Congratulate someone's new promotion. Don't let it get you down. Get excited with and for others. Tell someone they're valued. Send an uplifting text. Recognize someone's faithfulness. Give out a public praise to somebody. If someone's achieved something, a personal goal or overcoming a challenge, man, let's celebrate with them. Because it's better. I look at my life and I feel fortunate. But there are other times I look at other ministries or other people and things they have and we can compare. And I'm learning there are a lot of people who are better off than me. And there are a lot of people who aren't. God wants to give us contentment. And I hope that happens for you. Stand up. I'm going to close in prayer.